That's right. We're back again. Believe it or not, after an extended vacation around the world, <laughs> visiting visiting uh, many world music outlets, um, you know, different venues around the world, just, just broadening our horizons here. And after all that, we came back to do a show about uh, KISS. This is episode number 20, about KISS. KISS! <laughs> <laughs> which <laughs> which I love. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a second here, but uh, Mick was really, really into Kiss growing up. Yes. And probably still is. Probably still am. All right. Well, we're coming to you from the Songs You Should Know World Headquarters located in a secret bunker in central Minnesota. And from our satellite office in Branson, Missouri. We can't tell you exactly where the world headquarters is located in central Minnesota for security reasons, namely for the protection of our priceless vault of classic music. But we can tell you that you can see Lake Wobegon from here. I chose songs. <laughs> I purposely chose songs from the original lineup, the early Kiss. Yes. But you might have some preferences from some later lineups. I don't know. I don't know. But I wrote it down, so <laughs> I got to choose. I got notes. <laughs> so tell me how you got into Kiss or why you got into Kiss at such an early age. I was 12 years old. And uh, I had just one of those uh, fold up. I think mom and dad had bought me a fold up uh, record player, and so with my own with my own money, Kiss Alive was my first album that I purchased, and they were <clears throat> they were so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got headphones. I think they bought me headphones right after that. <laughs> so. I do remember listening uh, to that album a lot on your your stereo with headphones and the one thing that i thought was cool like the we'll get to it later but the the black diamond cut that i just played i stopped it right before my favorite part with headphones on was the the drum clicks the 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 hits of the sticks together right before it comes in yep and it always sounded like like the drums were the drumsticks were right above my head just like you know peter chris was doing it right there Right there. The cat man was watching you. <laughs> so, all right. Well, you can you can give me a couple of historical references here since uh, this is your gig, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well, so the, the, tell me about the formation. Well, the band the formed. Band. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the band formed in 1973 uh, in New York City um, in January of 73. So right at the beginning of 73. They've sold more than 100 million records worldwide. Uh, 
and they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2014. You know, they never had a number one single. No, not not that and, uh, not that that is a standard for, you know, getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But I, I've I've got a quote later, and, and right. this came up all the time before they got in that people that were really into kiss couldn't understand how other artists could get into the rock and roll hall of fame before kiss did. And there were, there were (laughs) petitions out there online and everything else that why hasn't kiss ever been, you know, indicted, uh, inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame. And uh, why were they never um, on Saturday night live? And um, I think there's a little, Hmm. little bit of misunderstanding as far as it, it's not necessarily just Saturday Night Live's choice. It may have been Kiss's choice. <laughs> right. Because usually the bands that would go on there had something to promote at that time, you know. And so if things never line up, and you'll notice, you know, so why does why does uh, this current pop star get to be on Saturday Night Live? Well, it's because they have a new tour. They have a new album. And it's a promotional thing. And, right. you know, and... Yeah, I mean, it's... And if NBC wants to have sponsors paying for commercials and everything then they want to have you know the latest greatest hottest thing there to get those eyeballs right at, in that demographic well, especially so and that might not be in here either i mean it you know think about it i guess they they weren't on saturday night live i don't believe they were well they were they were kind of on the tonight show right kind of <laughs> they were they were they were on like the mike douglas show i think Seriously, wow. I, I think that was one of their earliest national appearances. They were on soundstage. They were, I think it was Mike Douglas, um, and and which I find just hilarious, you know, because right. I'm sure he would have just gone, "What? Yeah, <laughs> what is this cartoon that we have going on here?" But they were on like the midnight special, and I think they were on what was the other one? Uh, rock concert, Don Kirshner's rock concert. Yeah, yeah. But well, speaking of the cartoon thing, remember. <clears throat> they did have their own comic book. They also had their own movie, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Now, who yes, didn't see did. that? So. Right. Well, I, I, I have to admit that I did see it. It was pretty cheesy, though. Absolutely. <laughs> they all had, okay, so they all had these original um, personas that they took on. And that's that's where their makeup came from. They didn't originally start out and make up their first couple of gigs. And then their makeup sort of evolved a little bit over time. But, you know, so Gene Simmons was the demon. And Paul Stanley was the star child that was the star over the eye. Ace was what, the spaceman? Yep, spaceman. Yep. And then Peter was the cat man. The cat. He was the cat. Nine lives. Now, did you ever did you ever go back and buy the first Kiss album? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I actually yeah, had that. Just called Kiss. Yeah, I had that early on, actually. So, and I'm not now, sure. Now, the thing I noticed about that was that Peter's makeup, his cat makeup, was different yes. than what it became. And I, I looked into that further, and when they were doing the photo shoot for the first album, Gene, Paul, and Ace all did their own makeup, and Peter brought in a professional person to do his makeup. And that was their interpretation of a cat. But he pretty quickly sort of went down to his his interpretation of it. So that's 
just the story behind why the the makeup is different, you mm. know, after that first album. But uh, yeah, I have to go back and look at that. But with that, we're going to get into the first song. Yes, the uh, if there is a national anthem for the the Kiss Nation, the Kiss Army, that would be it. That's right. What do you want to do with your life? Rock and roll all night <laughs> and party every day. Did Did you have the Dress to Kill album? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. So that was 1975. And uh, go ahead. Uh, they were abruptly called off tour to work on a follow-up to uh, 1974's Hotter Than Hell, which, which I have, too. Uh, when, when Al began to die uh, on the charts, uh, even though they had no new songs writing. So the head of the labels suggested uh, that the head songwriters of Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons come up with an anthem that would serve as a rallying cry for Kiss and their fans, suggesting something like a the Sly and the Family Stones, I Want to Take You Higher. So while riding back to the hotel, uh, Stanley came up with the line, I want to rock and roll all night and party every day. Uh, after showing the new line to Simmons, he added parts from an older song reportedly titled Drive Me Wild, which I think I've right. so, that story, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah. So that they released the single and it, it really went nowhere. And then uh, their their record label, they were on Casablanca, and it was in yes. deep financial trouble. And they were thinking of leaving for another label. And here's where you came into the story, because they decided to issue a live album. And so they re- released Alive in 1975. And this this was your first album, right? Right. And it's it's it was my first um introduction to rock and roll all night, which I thought was a cool song and, and to the whole kiss thing, which I was like poo pooing because I was into punk and stuff, but um, <laughs> and <the laughs> like stones. who needs this <laughs> and the stones. So anyway, the, the live version on, a, on the alive album, it's longer than the studio take. And um, it includes a Ace Freely guitar solo that wasn't on um, the original album cut. And, uh, well, as the, the label, um, had hoped it became a number 12 hit and it also therefore drove the album up the charts and probably helped save Casablanca for a while. So, yeah, it, uh, it kept Casablanca afloat for a while, (laughs) you know, but I thought, I thought that was interesting now because, you know, I, I bought the live album and then I'm like, oh. So then I went and bought the other albums. They only had three albums out by the time that they released Alive. <laughs> so. Oh yeah, it was it was it was very early on, and it was um, you know it was it was probably a last ditch thing for them, right? You know, other than slogging away with another record company, but it did help actually, uh, I suppose, lift them to a different level with an audience. And um, yeah, certainly caught your eye. So, absolutely. 
And, yeah. and of course the musicians, well, I purposely chose the original lineups. So. Right. So it's, it's the four boys. <laughs> right. And so they close with that usually, you know, at, in their encore and have since 1976. So I'm not sure if they ever really close with anything else because it's, yeah, uh, about. It, it's, it's sort of the, the anthem that sums up the entire, the entire evening. Yeah. But, Plus it gets them to load the confetti cannons and everything else. And... <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it is a show. It, there you go. <laughs> So in 2008, it's named the 16th greatest hard rock song of all time by VH1. Tell me about the lyrical meaning of this one. Yeah, let's figure this out. (laughs) (laughs) You drive us wild, we'll drive you crazy. That's right. You keep us. It's like, uh, yeah, you show us everything you got. You know, you keep on shouting and the room gets hot. Yeah. But, uh, you know... But I think it reached, you know, I mean, I think it reached that, that teenage, you know, partying group as well as, uh, you know, once, once I got into, you know, bands and music and stuff, I mean, that's what, you know, we, we thought it was going to be like that every day and every night. And it It wasn't, wasn't. (laughs) but we thought it was. (laughs) Created this whole mythology of what it's like to be in a rock and roll band, which, which Mm -hmm. is much less glamorous. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Watts's uh, famous line is, it's a lot of waiting around, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, most. And it's funny. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny because he has that line. And then Keith's line is, I wanted a, a quiet life. I just didn't get one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, um, other bands that did this song, I mean, Poison recorded a version. Uh, if you, yeah. if you're familiar with the movie Days and Confused, uh, it's Love that movie. featured in that movie. So, and I didn't realize that Slade played a inspirational factor here. The movie, the band Slade with Come On, Feel the Noise. Yeah, I guess I, I didn't realize that either. Well, that's, it's another band's anthem song, you know, I mean, right. Slade that was. And then later on, who... Quiet Riot? Is that yeah, Quiet Riot actually made right. it? Right. But I mean it was originally before then. It was a very influential song and it was and Slade was an influential band and it was their signature song. But uh Right. So uh on the choruses the band and, and the producer brought in a large group of people to sing and clap including members of the Kiss Road crew, studio musicians, Peter Chris's wife, Linda, or Lydia, and some of the road crew used their jacket zippers to create sound. <laughs> so hey. you got to go back and listen to some of that. Yeah. I, was, I was surprised going back and listening that on the original, uh, you know, studio track, how crisp some of the sound is and how loud some of the vocals are mixed in. I mean, you, you can distinctly hear Gene in there and it's just, it's, it's not all melded together in a, in a gloss. There's very distinct things that you hear when you listen to it. Yeah. It's pretty separated. I'm trying to think of who, uh, 
who produced that? Was that Bob Ezrin's time, or mm, I don't? I think that was later. But uh, anyway, so <laughs> did you ever see the Simpsons episode? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which it doesn't play the song, but it references it. Yeah. Where Homer Homer's trying to be real cool with Bart, you know, and show that he's a cool dad and stuff. But uh, go ahead and read the quote. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from from Homer Palooza when Homer says, "I used to rock and roll all I used to rock and roll all night and party every day. Then it was every other day. Now I'm lucky if I can find half an hour a week in which to get funky." <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're both over 50 we both know that's true yes <laughs> all right so i was searching through some things online and i came across this quote and i've got to be careful how i phrase this but um <laughs> with the state of the world being what it is today and it is the state of the nation this quote kind of struck me and uh uh, I, I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to give the short name of, or the location of this person because I don't want them to come after me and think. Yeah. That. Anyway, so this is the quote though: "Kiss will always be the greatest band ever. When the Sex Pistols and Madonna make it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame before Kiss, there's something wrong with America. Liberals have too much control over everything. When four guys make it huge from New York City and work crap jobs there." They never get invited to be on SNL, WTF. And the part of that that stands out for me is that <laughs> Kiss, <laughs> Kiss having to wait to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is the fault of liberals. Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> liberals have too much control over everything. <laughs> well, and, and it's pretty funny that I don't care if it's four white guys, black guys, gals. We all work crap jobs when we're in this business. <laughs> I'm so kidding. Was, I mean, I'm I like, mean, really? oh, even go, even to go back and look at the early history of, like you mentioned, the Sex Pistols or Madonna. Don't they were all working different jobs? Don't, they didn't start out, <laughs> and the Sex Pistols Jeez. self self destructed right away. You know, yeah. but. There's something to be said for your influence on other bands and, and things. So I'm not saying Kiss Kiss isn't influential. I'm just saying that, you know, between rock critics and the people that <laughs> like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you go online and you actually, as a listener, as a fan, you get to vote for the nominees. So right. it's not it's not entirely <laughs> It's not entirely some liberal conspiracy. Anybody can go on there and vote. So apparently, what, only liberal, liberals are voting? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we're not sure. And anyway, we're going to get into uh, another song soon after a little break. But interestingly enough, this song, the chorus of this song is also heard at the beginning of the next song That's from a right. different album. And we're going to talk about that right after this break. People 
right. I know you had this album too. Destroyer. That was the one that, man, that one, in my <laughs> mind, that was the best album ever. I think it had a, I think it had a really cool cover. I mean, that it was the perfect mix of cartoon and hero. And well, yeah, I had, uh, you know, in for them, I mean, I think they really came into all their characters. God of Thunder was on there. Detroit Rock City's on there. Uh, Beth is on there, right? Yep. Yeah, um, we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, here too. I mean, so I mean, that was the one that I think that was the album that kind of put them over the <laughs> over the top. I, I think it was. I think it was an early high point. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. So All right, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was nineteen seventy six. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're doing they're doing this against disco. You know, I mean, yes, you know, or early disco. Well, yeah, because we should talk about that later. That when, when they released Dynasty and they did, I was made for loving you. So, yep that that'll that'll come up somewhere. That was the last album I bought of Kiss. <laughs> that was the end of the Dynasty. That was that was the end of. <laughs> I was with you fellows all the way through, through the four single albums. <laughs> and then Dynasties, I drew the line. All right, and this is this is where Bob Ezra Gary, comes yep. in, because he actually co-writes the song with Paul, so that was a, sort of put together by them. So it's so it's the original crew doing it, plus Bob Ezrin, th- who's producing the album, but he comes in and plays piano yeah. as well. And that kind of started a whole long relationship with with Bob and Kiss, and yeah, yeah. Uh, as a single, which you know hurts me. It did poorly, <laughs> <laughs> but it's become a really classic. Right. Of course, song. Yes, right. was, there's a lot of other stuff going on. Of course, it was <laughs> it was big in Detroit, but it failed to chart in the U.S. It you know, and of course, exactly. talked about it. It's a fan favorite, and uh, it came as a surprise that the B side. So when it was released, the B side Beth was the ballad written by written and sung by drummer Peter Chris wound up catching on in different markets in the United States. So the single was reissued with Beth as the A-side in Detroit Rock City as the B-side. There's flute in there. There's some strings in there too, I believe. <laughs> we've got we've got strings and flute. <laughs> Detroit Rock City was listed number six on VH1's 40 Greatest Metal Songs. Even though Beth, well, of course, Beth isn't a metal song. Sure. Beth, Beth, Beth had flute on it. And it wasn't Jethro <clears throat> Tull type flute. It was flute flute. But for nine but for 1976, it could actually be called one of the first power ballads from the hair band. True. 
Not that it was a power That's ballad, true. but <laughs> it was it was a sensitive ballad from a quote unquote heavy metal band. So we can go with that. All right. All right. But moving back to Detroit Rock City, tell me about the lyrical meaning. So the lyrical meaning is that the song is based around a, a young fan who was killed in a car accident on his way to a Kiss concert. Uh, the song mentions D- Detroit, but Paul has stated he was thinking back to an incident during their previous tour. And from Paul, he says, uh, I think it was in Charlotte, somebody had gotten hit by a car and killed outside the arena. I remember thinking how weird that is that people's lives in so quickly. People can be on their way to something that's really a party in a celebration of being alive and die in the process of doing it. So that became the basis uh, for the lyric. And it's been a, a big influence on rock music and heavy metal. I mean, Detroit Rock City, um, I, I've seen them do it on TV specials and things, you know, where they show up as a special guest. But uh, back in the day, Iron Maiden, Pantera, you know, groups like that were really influenced by that song. And then I think it was Gene that produced the movie, which revolved around a Kiss concert in Detroit, a bunch of kids trying to get to a Kiss concert on yes. time, but the name of the movie name of the movie was uh, Detroit yep. Rock City. Seen it many times. <laughs> well, see, I have. Oh, wow, <laughs> is it a good movie? Of course, it is. <laughs> it's, it's two young <laughs> two young teenagers have their mom drop them off at a Kiss concert. What do you think? You know, I it seems to me I may have seen parts of, it. parts of that at some time. Yeah, I just don't know. But uh, and then of course, you know. Every old song comes up again at sporting events. Yes. So the Detroit Tigers use the song when the team takes the field, you know, often at the beginning of a game. And the Red Wings play the tune right before the first face-off of a game and also during their television and radio broadcasts. Now, there was a concert in California, uh, I think it was 2015, and it was the Foo Fighters in the round. And it was Dave Grohl's birthday. So they had this big concert, this big in the round concert. And they kept bringing in different people to sing with them and do things with them. And the first one they brought on was uh, was Paul Stanley, who came down and, uh, and did uh, Detroit Rock City with, um, with the band. So... That was cool. I saw I saw that on YouTube. You can yeah. find that. Well, that's they're, they're respected. One, <laughs> <laughs> one and only one time, <laughs> Green Day while playing in Detroit actually played the first portion of it. So they had they had the first opening riffs and everything down and starting to sing it. And then they uh, then they shut it down and went into a different song. But uh, and Green Day's known for ripping one-off things like that out. But, uh, all right, now there was a Tris a Kiss <laughs> tribute album, <laughs> which was called "Kiss My." Can we say ass on, on, hmm. on podcast? Yes. We'll see if the producers yeah. put it out or not. Anyway, subtitled. Uh, classic kiss regrooved or something like that but the mighty mighty boss tones if you've heard of them oh yeah they were really i worked with the boss tones before all right they were a pretty freaky group 
Anyway, I've got a piece of uh, them doing the song from that tribute album, and you can listen for the horns here. Wow. <laughs> it's a crazy version, man. <laughs> what a lovely singing voice you have. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know enough about the Boston's to know if that was his usual singing voice or if that was something he did special for this. But uh... <laughs> I guess I don't remember it quite that rough. <laughs> All right, well. Here's here here's a here's one where you get to try to guess who this is doing All right. a version, okay? All right. They called it Detroit Swing City. You know who that is? Well, I have two guesses, I think I'd like to. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I don't know. It, it doesn't sound... I was thinking it was either like Stray Cats or Brian Setzer, but I don't think so. It's, it's not Harry Connick Jr., is it? No. Dang. Do you remember the song Zoot Suit Riot? Yeah. Yeah, it's the Cherry, cherry Pop and Daddies. Dang it. I worked with them, too. I should have known that. <laughs> So once you once you can hear a zoot suit riot, you can hear, oh yeah, that's that's the same band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so on on Destroyer, this song segues into King of the Nighttime World. Yeah, think about that. So after <laughs> after the car crash at the end, and uh, and then on the Destroyer tour, the songs were played together, um, just like they were on the album. So yeah. I don't think they've played King of the Nighttime World since then, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And with that, right. we're going to be back in just a few minutes after this commercial break. Out on the street for a living 
Man, I, I love those click, click, clicks. Yeah, they're right in your ears. Yep, that drive you in there. You know, I, I always thought at the time that it was binaurally recorded. You know what binaural recording is? Mm-hmm. Um, where you've got um, like a fake head with, with microphones in where the ears would be. Right. And then when you record with that and you put headphones on and listen to it, you can hear the spatial placement of things. So like the thing about those clicks is that they always sounded like they were up above my head. They weren't coming out from the sides, you know, like most music is. It was like all of a sudden there was a click, click, click up above your head. And I thought, man, that had to be like a binaural recording thing that they put in there. But uh, I've never verified that, but it sure does sound funny. Yeah. Sounds like he just clicked them up on the overheads and that's how they had them. Yep. Anyway, tell me some something about the history of this song since it comes back from your early time. It does. It comes in the early time. It uh, it was written by Paul Stanley. And uh, as, as Paul says, Black Diamond was written almost exactly as it is, except the riff wasn't there. Gene Simmons brought that part in. It's all about arrangement and embellishment. That's what you're supposed to do in a band, come in and add something. But that doesn't mean you wrote the song. I wonder if Paul's a little snippy right there. but <laughs> <laughs> It does but, sound uh, like there's a little bit going on. Might be a little bit going on. But uh, this song is the last track on their first album, and it was uh, released in 1974. It's simply called Kiss. Gene Simmons estimated that the entire process for recording and mixing the first album, and I believe there's nine tracks on there, I think. Um, all originals, too. Uh, mixing the first album took three weeks, while co-producer Richie Weiss has stated it took just 13 days. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> uh, it begins with an acoustic opening sung by Paul Stanley before a furious riff enters, accompanied by Peter Chris on lead vocals. And that's why we chose this one, because... Give Peter Chris some love, probably the best singer in Kiss. <laughs> but, I think you know. so. And there's also an Ace Rayleigh solo to round it out right before the end. So, all right. So, and, and you have to remind me before we, we're out of here in a couple yes. of minutes that right. I've, I've got another sound bump of Peter Chris because I do love the way he sang so much and a sound bump of Ace. Right. So, the, music, the musicians, of course, were the regular, the original crew. So, we're you know, we're, we're, we actually went back in time a little bit here, even from Detroit yeah, Rock City. Years. We went back, of course, you know. So, and the song, of course, <laughs> went nowhere. <laughs> no, nobody knew who these guys were or what to make of them. So, and yet the album went on to sell 75,000 copies that first year without a hit single. And that's, that was pretty major. I mean, yeah, with no singles most or with no hit single, I guess. Yeah, it would. No, no single. Well, no. Yeah. Nothing, nothing that anybody really ever heard and not really knowing of you, they managed to sell 75,000, you know, copies. And by 1977, it was certified gold having shipped 500,000 copies, of course, because they had more albums coming out, people were getting into kiss and then they wanted to go back right. and fill out, fill out fill their out catalog, the collection. you know? That's right. And if, if you go back and look at the lyrics and or just listen to them, there's not much to the song. I mean, it's really um, the same verse repeated a couple of times, 
and then a chorus in there and then the verse and then they're kind of out of there. I mean, it, there's not a whole lot to do, but um, it seems to refer to the tough life of a black prostitute. Uh, is she called Black Diamond? Or is that merely a songwriter's metaphor? I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to know because they don't tell you. So this is a question for philosophers. (laughs) (laughs) So Paul Stanley told classic rock magazine, black diamond was a song that I wrote about New York. New York was very dear to us and life. There was all we could write about seeing hookers on the street, whether we lived it, we saw it. And it kind of gave us something to fantasize about. All right. And I've got another one for you to guess here. A version that was actually released on an album. um, Not too long after this, actually. You know, I mean, we're still talking the 70s here. So, all right. So you tell me who this is. I don't. I'm trying to think. Well, I'm I'm from Minnesota, and the vault is in Minnesota. Ah, this is going to be. Dang it! I always get these two mixed up. Uh, the replacements. It is the replacements. Yes. Man. <laughs> very very good. Yeah. Yes. We have we have an original pressing down in the vault here. Yes. So that's um, right. <laughs> it's, it can be seen nine to five Monday through Friday. And, well, and the, the replacements or as they were affectionately known, the placemats, <laughs> um, the mats for the short, mats. <laughs> um, they were, they were well known for very raucous, drunken, raw shows early on. And, you know, when I first heard them, their version of this, I thought, well, why did they do that? What was it? Were they trying to be funny? kishy you know <laughs> but it turn it turns out that you know it's a very dark song mm-hmm. and the way it, the way they sing it i almost prefer to what kiss did with it because it's like this is this is raw and if you want to feel the pain of somebody that's living out on the streets and making their living with their body i, I mean i think the play <laughs> replacements actually captured that pretty well right and that's uh so yeah, I mean, I thought it was a good song for them because, like you said, I mean, in, in listening to the replacements, granted that they were from <clears throat> Minneapolis, but I always got that New York feel out of them. You know what I mean? Well, like yeah. that. Yeah. And that's just that's just because, like, all those punk bands always thought, oh, they must be out of New York. All punk bands are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they were, you know, but the replacements came in, of course, during the beginning of the Minneapolis scene. You know? Right. They're, they were. 
they were contemporaries of early prints, you know, coming out of Minneapolis. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I, I did say that we have to remember to bump Peter, Chris, and Ace before we finish out this section and we go yes. to trivia. But um, so you know what I'm going to play by Peter, Chris. It's my favorite Kiss song ever. Yes, and <laughs> it was it was written for Rod Stewart, and, and Paul decided I think we'll keep this. <laughs> so. Yeah, just see, just see if you can tell what the. What the Tell them what the what the vibe was they were going yeah. for here. <laughs> Peter Chris, that was my my favorite voice in Kiss. I agree, and probably my favorite Kiss song. So. Yeah, he had he had a couple of them. He did, and then a couple of years later, they they do something pretty outrageous, and their <laughs> Kiss, <laughs> and re- resulted in an awful lot of cutout returns. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And if you it don't did. know what a cutout album is, people listening out there, if you don't know what a cutout album is, when when you go to a you know a, a, a pawn shop or to a, a bargain store or something, and you find record albums there that have a little either the corner cut off or a little slice taken hole out punch. of yeah, um, or a hole punch, in. yeah, a hole punch, or, yeah, a hole punch, or a, sometimes it's just a notch. Mm-hmm. Those are called cutouts. And so when the record company would ship tons of albums out thinking that they're going to sell a lot of albums. So they, they ship them out to all these record stores or to Kmart and, <laughs> you know, whatever else, wherever else they had record bins at the time, which they did. And when, when the, the retailer can't sell those albums, they return them to the record company or to the distributor. And the distributor then has to mark them as cutouts. Okay. These were returned they're not sellable or they, they didn't sell. And so they get, you could often find the cutout bin at record stores where you could get albums cheap. And so in 1978, there were a lot of cutouts from, from four solo albums <laughs> released, released simultaneously by the members of kiss. And, um, of those four solo albums, one had the the biggest charting hit. I think Gene Simmons did fairly well too, but uh, the the biggest charting hit came from Ace's Ace Freely's yep. album. And I, I, I at the time it was a very short song, but I really liked it and I played it a lot over and over again. So this was this was what I thought <laughs> out of four albums. This was this was what yep. made it. I work. think Anton. I think Anton <laughs> finished drumming. Yeah, it could Here be. 
It was basically a two chord, just a, just a riff song, but it had so much attitude to it. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, that's cool, you know? And Sitting of course, in the was, back of my Cadillac. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, you know, it was about New York. So, of course, you know, you know, that's a pretty big market. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people love that in the clubs and everything. So, uh, oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, it's kind of funny out of the four solo albums. <clears throat> I mean, none of them charted singles very well be, besides that one. I don't know if you would think that the lead singer of Kiss, I don't think Paul's charted at all. I can't I don't even. Think so. I don't. Think I can't so even either. name a song off there. Yep, I agree with you. So you know the the main front man didn't go anywhere, and uh, and Ace got the <laughs> Ace got the Ace. Ace got the right. <laughs> yeah, Peter, oh, right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Peter Chris. Peter Chris had a lot of uh, uh, like big band music on there and stuff. So his was a little. Oh, you see, I don't even know. And, I don't even know that I ever heard his. So yeah. All right. Well, we're going to be back in a little bit with my favorite part of the show. Some trivia. Trivia. All right. After this message. Out on the street for a living. Pictures on the begun. Got you under their thumb. All right, we're back with the part of the show where I get to totally flummox and bamboozle the mixer. Yes. The stuff that he's not prepared for. Ever. Except, <laughs> except that you should be prepared for this because you're a lifelong kiss junkie. That's true. I'll, I'll, I might put myself in timeout if I miss any of these. Ooh. Well, I've made it d difficult because I'm going to give you 20 questions very rapidly. Ooh. In a little game I'm calling Kistery. Change it up. All right. All right. Number one. Yep. Which is now, if you don't need guesses or, you know, uh, yep. hints, then, then don't ask for them. But you know how the okay. goes. I do. Okay. Which is, which is, which of these is not the birth name of one of the four founding members? That would be Stanley Eisen. Paul Freely, George Peter Criscula, or Gene Klein? Dang it. Which is not a birth name of one of the four founding members. See, because I remember reading magazines that I thought all those, I'm going to have to go with uh, Chris Kula. No, actually, George Peter Chris Kula is Peter oh. Chris's name. So, Gene Klein. Dang it. Yes. All right. So, all right. Which band member, and this is not from the original crew here. Well, I already gave away part of it. 
<laughs> that should narrow things down. Which band member was with Lita Ford, Alice Cooper, and Black Sabbath before joining Chris? Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a hint. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What, who was with them before joining Kiss? That was Eric Singer, Peter Chris, Eric Carr, or Ace Freely? Uh, Eric Singer. It is Eric Singer. You've got that. That's good. You're back to eating. Back. All right. Now this one, I'm, I'm going to see if you can do this without, without uh, okay. hints. Gene and Paul were members of a band that in the early 70s before the arrival of Peter, Chris, and Ace Freely. What was the name of their first band together? Uh, I'm going to, if, if you give me hints, I'll get it because I cannot remember it. All right. Uncle Joe, Coventry, Wicked Lester, or Hobo Jester? Wicked Lester. It was Wicked Lester, yeah. Once you see it, you go, yeah, oh, yeah, that's what it was. All right. The story goes that Kiss's first manager financed the Dress to Kill tour in 1974 by maxing out his credit card. It paid off sending the subsequent live album, Alive, up the U.S. charts along with their first single, Rock and Roll All Night. Who was he? Uh, if he was their first manager, Bill O'Coin managed him for a long time. It is Bill O'Coin, so I'm just going to yeah. give you that. I'm not. I don't. I'm not sure that he was first either. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, maybe he was. Okay, this is a true or false. You got a fifty percent chance. The ballad "Beth" was never intended to be released as a single. True. That's true. While Kiss never had a number one song in America, they did hit the mark overseas. I think it was in Norway. Oh. What what song did they hit, hit number one with that you really love so much? So much <laughs> after that, you stopped buying their albums. <laughs> wow. But leave it to Norway. There we go. Yeah. I was made for <laughs> loving you, baby. Yep. <laughs> In the night, in the late seventies, what what up and coming group had their initial demo tape produced and shopped around by Gene Simmons? Uh, what was the first part of that? Because there's a couple. In in the in the late seventies, yeah. what up and coming group had their initial demo tape produced and shopped around by Gene Simmons? Mm. Could be a couple ones here. Van Halen. It is Van Halen. We're just going to stop right there. With that gut feeling. All right. What did Kiss do in 1978 that to this date has yet to be repeated by any major rock act? Uh, First part again, you kind of broke up on me. What did Kiss do in 1978 that has yet to be repeated by any major rock act? In 1978. Ah, oh, we were just listening to something. Um, we were just listening to something. Um, <laughs> I was made for listening. <laughs> yeah, but... No, no, we oh. didn't listen to oh, that. No, to, we were uh... just listening. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I gotta get up early. To... Um, <laughs> they each released a solo album simultaneously. simultaneously. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you that one. 
<laughs> yeah, the same exact time. All right. Which of the original members was first to leave the group? Well, uh, Ace Fraley. Nope, it was Peter. <clears throat> in 1980. Ace hung I around for a they got bit. Eric Carr in there, huh? Okay. Yep, yep. Um, the 1994 Kiss My but. Thing tribute <laughs> featured a number of established artists. Which one of the following was not on the album? Okay, so I, I've got to give you the choices. Okay. Garth Brooks, Pantera, Lenny Kravitz, the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Wow. I guess I had to go with Lenny because I'm I'm pretty sure Garth's uh, Hard Luck Woman was on there, but let's go with Lenny. Yep. It was actually Pantera. Wow. And Garth and Garth Brooks does do an excellent version of a Hard yeah. Luck Woman on there. So hmm. <clears throat> All right, this is one of those complicated questions. Yes. Which guitarist was not a member of KISS? After Ace's departure. Okay. So. I'm ready. All right. So Bruce Kulick, Vinnie Vincent, Mark St. John, or Bob Kulick? Bob Kulick. Yeah. He was the brother of uh, Bruce. Bruce, I think. Yep. When not performing with Kiss, Gene Simmons branched out into movie acting. Usually as a villain, in which of these movies was Gene not opposite the hero? Runaway, Never Too Young to Die, Trick or Treat, or Wanted, Dead or Alive? I know who was in Runaway. What was the second one? Never Too Young to Die. Let's go with Trick or Treat. It was trick-or-treat. Good for you. Okay, which of these songs does not contain a reference about Kiss? Okay. Manana by Jimmy Buffett. In the Garage by Weezer. Kiss You All Over by Exile. Or Surrender by Cheap Trick. Mm. Hmm. I'm going to go with the Jimmy Buffett one because I'm not sure about it. Actually, he does. He does does. mention if you've never been to if you've never been to a Kiss concert, you don't know what it's all about or something like that. Yeah, it was a Kiss You All Over by Exile, which would would have nothing. Of course, Surrender was one of the most famous lines. Got my Kiss records out. And so (laughs) every show they still throw out a Kiss record. That's right. All right. Drummer Eric Carr lost a valiant battle with cancer on November 24th, 1991. His death coincided with the passing of another rock legend on the same date. Who was it? Oh, I know. Ooh! Do you have answers? I do. All right. Could be Kurt Cobain. Could be Freddie Mercury. It could be Phil Linnett. Or Lynott. 
never was sure how to pronounce his name, or Cliff Burton? It was... I remember this because he kind of, his death kind of got overshadowed. November. Was it Cobain? No, it was actually Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury. Dang it. Yep. All right. Now, what album did the band appear on for the first time without makeup? Oh, I remember the video. So it would have been, what's the, what's my choices? <laughs> Could be unmasked. Oh, kiss unmasked. How about? <laughs> no, actually, it's not. Dang it! What, that that must have must have been a later album. I don't know, but uh, it it would be the obvious Look choice. It but it, it was yeah. <laughs> You know why I played that, right? For cousin Molly. Yep, that goes out to you, Molly. <laughs> you Sorry to make you wait until the end, but you know you could have skipped ahead. Yeah, you... that's right. <laughs> I remember. I remember staying up watching that watching that video. They're walking down the oh yeah some street or something, yeah. and it just shows like their boots, and then and it pans up, and I think. Ace was gone, so I think that was Vinnie Vincent that got unmasked first. I believe he was the Yeah. So I think at that I think when they took their makeup off, it was only Gene and Paul. Gene and Paul. And for for the actual um photo shoot. So Oh. <laughs> All right. What was the name of Kiss's fan club? Kiss Army. <laughs> Which of the following Kiss songs is not a cover of an earlier release by another artist? Ooh. That would be Deuce, Then She Kissed Me, God Gave Rock and Roll to You. Well, it's you? Deuce, but it's, it, is, it, is, it is Deuce, yes. And I was going to, that's funny because I was going to, I get serious, serious radio, and I never knew that Argent. Did God gave rock and roll to you, and then I didn't know that either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, that's an Argent tune. Paul Stanley began branching out into the world of musical theater with his starring role in what show? <clears throat> I'm going to need uh, some answers. Could be Blood Brothers, Kiss Me, Kate, Grease, or Phantom of the Opera. Phantom of the Opera. Yes, yes, he did. For the final run, it was in, like in Toronto or something. He did. Uh, yeah, something. He did yeah. Phantom up there. But uh, all right, this one, I'm not even going to give you choices for. All right. Okay. Okay. When Marvel Comics printed the first Kiss comic books featuring the members yes. as superheroes, what, what was added to the <laughs> ink 
as a publicity stunt. Their blood. Yes, they each contribute. Blood. <laughs> a vial of blood. All right, last question, number twenty. You've done well. I didn't keep. Tra- I didn't keep count, but yeah. we, we can yeah. always we can always go back and check the tape. That's right. Who's keeping track? All right, and this one you will know also. What is the name of Ace Frehley's band when he's not touring with Kiss? Frehley's Comets. Exactamundo. All right. <laughs> well, thank you for coming along for the ride. <laughs> as we got, as Mick and I came back from our world tour. That's right. You know, various world music venues. And, uh, and after hearing everything the world had to offer, we came back to Kiss. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, after the world tour, we decided, Kiss, why not keep it simple, stupid? So we did. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, you can always go to songsyoushouldknow.com to find links to uh, this episode and others. And my goodness, we have access to the same internet you have access to Wikipedia, Song Facts. Google. The entire World Wide Web. Google. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Update uh, for all you Google people out there. Update Chrome. Otherwise, you'll d- delay the uh, recording of a show sometime. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure your Chrome auto updates. It's important. All yes. right. Until next time. <laughs>